Well, good afternoon and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It is so good to have you here this evening on Christmas Eve. Um, and I hope you've, uh, you've, you've thought out a little bit today. It was a frigid week this past week. Negative 13, I think it got down to. It was cold this week. But we are thawing out. Um, this morning I took a walk and, um, and I think it was 35 degrees as I took a walk and it felt, felt warm. Like this is, and we were having a little bit of a heat wave and one of my boys was in shorts. It's like spring is in the air here on Christmas Eve. But we are glad that you could, could join us. Uh, before we get into our teaching, I just wanted to give you a few quick details um, for this evening. Um, number one, if you have small children, uh, we wanted to let you know that our nursery is open back there. It's, there. it's not staffed, but it is a bit of a self-serve nursery. So if you just want some space um, for your child to squirm around a little bit, we've, we've got that back there and the, the service is, is fed in there so you can listen to the sermon and the, the worship as well. Um, second thing, uh, we just invite you to, to stick around after the service tonight, and we've got a bunch of treats out in the lobby, and just, just hang out, um, have something to eat, uh, meet somebody, get to know somebody, love for you to stick around for a few minutes after the service. Next thing, remember, we do not have a, a service tomorrow morning on Sunday morning. Instead of, of that service, we're just having our Christmas Eve service here tonight, and so uh, don't come tomorrow morning, but do come um, next Sunday. Join us next Sunday, but not in the morning, actually. We're doing something a little different next week, and instead of having a Sunday morning service, we're going to have a Sunday evening meal. And we're just going to kick off the new year um, having this, this family dinner together. We're going to set up a bunch of tables out here in the lobby, and we're just going to be together. We're going to have a soup dinner and, um, and ring in the new year. And we'll just have a little bit of discussion at, at, at the tables. It's going to be mostly just a hangout relational time, a um, little bit of discussion, a little bit of prayer, and that's how we're going to start our new year. So we just invite you to join us next week as well. If you're new here, you're visiting, and you feel like that's a little awkward to come to this kind of family meal, it's, it's not. We'd love for you to join us. And actually, I think it'd be a great way to get to know our church a little bit more, just having dinner with some people, get a chance to meet some people. And so that's happening next Sunday evening. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get into what we're going to talk about um, this, this afternoon now. You know, we, uh, we come to church, whether it's on, on Christmas Eve or just a normal Sunday service, I think we come to church for a reason, or at least we should come to church for a primary reason. There are lots of secondary reasons. There are lots of good reasons to come to church, but there is one main reason we come to church, and that is to know God. It's to know God, and I hope that that is part of the reason you came here today, that it wasn't simply to see friends or family, it wasn't simply out of tradition, it wasn't simply to sing songs or to, to, to eat food or to uh, just be in this kind of, of elegant environment, but I hope you came to get to know God a little bit better. Because that's why we come to church. That is the main reason. We want to know God. We want to understand him a little bit better. We want to experience who he is, experience his love. We want to relate to him personally. And that's why we come to church. Now, on Christmas or during the Christmas season, we get to know God in perhaps a special way. Or at least we get to highlight some of his qualities in a little bit of a, a different way than we typically do. 
And so, what does Christmas tell us about God? If we're here to get to know God, what, what does this season specifically tell us about God that we can get to know better? Well, there's a couple things that I wanted to highlight. There's lots of things, but there are two things that I want to point out. And the first one is the main one, probably the one that we, we think of when we think of the Christmas season, and it's this. We get to know that God is humble, and God is willing to step down for us. That's the whole Christmas story, of course is that God took all of his fullness and he brought it down in the form of a man, first in the form of an infant, in order to bring us to himself. That God was willing to step down that far for us. God is not a God who who sits up on a mountaintop with his arms folded, waiting for us to claw our way up to him. No, God is a God who walks down the mountain and picks us up and puts us on his shoulders and carries us back up the mountain. That's who God is. And around Christmas time, we get to know that God, the God who is humble, the God who steps down, the God who reaches out for us. But there's a second thing that I think we have an opportunity to get to know about God around this time of year, and it's really what we've been highlighted during our Sunday mornings the last few weeks, and it's this. He makes and keeps promises. Here we have a God who makes and keeps promises. That is what we've been talking about the past four Sundays during this Christmas season. Now, if you are visiting and you haven't been with us the last four Sundays, don't worry. Um, you, you don't need to have come to those four Sundays. And I'm going to recap a little bit right now what we've been talking about this, ma- this month. We've been going through this series that we've titled Foretold. And what we've been doing this month is surveying the Old Testament. Okay, the, the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus was born. And we've been looking in that Old Testament and seeing its thousands of years of history, and we've been seeing how God spoke throughout that history, and he foretold the coming of the Messiah. He foretold the coming of the Messiah century after century over and over again. There was somebody who was going to come, the Messiah, or in Greek, the Christ, the anointed one. He was going to come, and he was going to restore everything to the way that it was originally intended to be. He was predicted, he was prophesied. And let me summarize again what we have seen was foretold about this Messiah, Number one, his ancestry. We've seen this the last, last four weeks, that his, his lineage was foretold, that he was going to come from the line of Judah and then from David. His place of birth was foretold, that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. All of these things were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Number three, the way he would enter Jerusalem was described. He would come on a donkey. Number four, it was foretold the price for which he would be betrayed, that that. His betrayer would receive 30 pieces of silver to betray him. Number five, the timing of his death was even foretold. The prophet Daniel, again, hundreds hundreds of years before Jesus was born, predicted that a certain time period after a decree was given that Jesus would, would be cut off, that he would die. Six, the way in which he would die was foretold, that he would be mocked, that his garments, his clothing would be divided and bargained for, He would be disfigured. It was a brutal death. His hands and feet would be pierced is what it says. He would 
He would be killed in silence where he would not speak against his, his murderers. All of these things were foretold in the hundreds of years leading up to the birth of Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies in a remarkable, extraordinary way. He came and he, he showed that God keeps his promises. Okay, that's what Jesus communicated. That's what we celebrate so much in Christmas is that God makes and keeps his promises. And I hope that even as I list out all of those and we recognize that God has kept all those promises, I hope that a sense of, of, of wonder and awe is, is stirred in you as you reflect on a God who is over time, over history, and has a plan that he is unfolding throughout history, and he tells us what's going to happen. He says, this is going to happen, and then it does. And that's what he did, and I hope, he, again, you are stirred in a sense of wonder and awe. But tonight, we want to say something in addition to that. Okay, it's not only that, that all of these promises were fulfilled in Jesus. Here, here's something else, is that the promises made about the Messiah are part of a two-step process. You could say that there were two stages, two phases of this process. Jesus, just before he died, in John 14, it's recorded this. He said this to his disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus, just before he died, said something that he was beginning to say frequently before his death. He was going to die, but then he was going to come again. He was going to come again and retrieve his followers and take them to himself. After he died, after he was resurrected, he ascended into heaven. He was taken up into heaven. Right after he ascended, his disciples are all watching it, and this is what happens. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, these are angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's going to come again. Okay, there are two phases in this process. He came the first time, but he's going to come a second time. You know, on November 8th, 2003, I got engaged. You know, I got engaged to my now wife, Christy. And um, again, it was November 8th. We got engaged at City Park, just down the street here. City Park was a place where we spent a lot of time. Christy herself spent a lot of time there. And so I had planned it to propose at City Park. It was actually later at night. It was probably 9 or 10 at night. It was after she, she got off work. She got off a little late. But I had this night planned out, and so we were going to go, go after she got off work. And so we went to City Park later at night. It was frigid. Okay, not negative 13 frigid, but it was still pretty cold that November. And we sat there um, on, on a bench around City Park Lake, and, and we talked, and I went through my little spiel with teeth chattering and um, proposed to her. And she accepted, and she said, yes. 
Now, that was the culmination of a, a bit of a process and an anticipation where we had grown in relationship. We, we were a little bit of a unique story in that um, before we officially got together as a couple, we had been very good friends for three plus years. And so we had had this, this longer friendship and then and, and throughout that friendship, things were building and, and growing and, and I thought this might be the one and we were anticipating this. And then we got together and eventually I proposed and she said yes and it was this wonderful moment. It really was. And I remember it, it, it clearly. And yet... It was only a wonderful moment because it initiated something else. And, and it was leading to, it initiated this process that was going to lead eventually to a wedding day. And that's why that, that moment was so wonderful when we got engaged because of the process that it, that it started. And we, we stepped into this, this period of anticipation where we're looking forward to the wedding day. Now I would still reflect on that, that, that engagement day, but I didn't spend a lot of my time and energy thinking about that moment anymore. Instead, I was looking forward to why I proposed, and that was that, that wedding day that was coming. A Christian, if you are a Christian here, you are in between the engagement and the wedding day. And that's where you are right now. And we reflect back on the proposal. We reflect back on the engagement. But we're looking forward to that wedding. You know, a Christian can be described in many ways. Um, we could, uh, a Christian is described in the Bible as, as, as a saint, um, as, as somebody who is saved, as somebody who is justified, who's a child of God. There are many different ways that a Christian is described in the Bible. But one of the primary ways that the New Testament describes a Christian is as one who is waiting. Okay, one who is, is waiting. They're anticipating. They're looking forward to something that has been guaranteed to happen. It was that first phase was already promised and there was a big buildup and eventually we saw it fulfilled but now we're in this phase of looking forward. We are waiting and we're waiting eagerly. And this is how the New Testament speaks about Christians so often. Let me give you a handful of examples and I could list many, many examples. When you are reading your New Testament, look for references to the waiting, to the next coming they're all over. But let me give you a few. First of all, in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's how Christians are described, those who are eagerly waiting for him. Or we could go to Galatians 5.5. 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That's what we are doing as, as Christians. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonians. 
And he's describing when they came to Christ and he's describing what the, the, report they, the, the report that he got from other churches about their salvation. It says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So they turn from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then finally, in Romans 8, verses 22 through 25, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inward, inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, we're eagerly waiting for our redemption for our adoption as sons. And this is what a Christian does. We're waiting. We're, we're focusing on that day that is coming. That day where Jesus comes again just like he promised and he makes everything new like Travis shared earlier and he makes everything right just as it was supposed to be. Just as we've always felt that it should be. There is that day coming when Jesus will do that. And we can be confident in it because we saw all those predictions over those thousands of years. God said, I promise, I promise, I promise. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And, and this is what it's gonna be like and this is what he's gonna look like and this is what, is what he's gonna do. This is where he's gonna be from. I promise, I promise, I promise. And then he came and he fulfilled all those promises and we can say, okay, God keeps his promises but he's given us more. He's given us more promises that Jesus, just like he came the first time, is going to come again. He's going to come back for us, and, and he's going to make everything new. Now, if we're just waiting, if we're eagerly waiting, that can feel kind of, I don't know, passive. Like, what are we really supposed to do if we're we're just waiting for something to happen, something that's out of our control, something that we don't do but somebody else does. That just, that, that, that leaves many of us feeling like, well, I want something more. But, but we should understand that biblical waiting is not a passive apathy, but instead it's an active anticipation. There's an active anticipation. When I got engaged, that did not begin a period of boredom. Okay, it began a period of constant activity where we were preparing. We were anticipating with an eagerness, thinking, okay, that day is coming, and so we've got to get everything together. 
and we've got to plan out what it's going to be like, and, and, and we've got to um, design it to reflect what is being given to us here, and, and, and we've got to get our invitations out, and we've got to invite other people to join us to celebrate what we're going to celebrate here. It was a, a period of great activity, and we Christians also can be very active as we eagerly wait and anticipate that Jesus is coming again. And so as we celebrate Christmas, this, I believe, is, is one of the things that, that should be foremost in our minds. We're not just looking back to the baby in the manger. No, we're looking back and reminded that God fulfills his promises, and then we're looking forward and saying, yes, God will continue to fulfill his promises as he's coming back for us. He's coming again. That's what Jesus promised to do. And I want to wake up each morning with that sort of eagerness. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He promised to come. He's coming again. That's my reality. That's my future. That's what's going to happen. And I can be excited and enthusiastic about it. Now, those of you that um, um, perhaps have not come to a belief in Christ yet, I just want to urge you and invite you to wait with us, okay, to, to eagerly wait with us because he is coming and he, he demonstrated clearly that he keeps his promises. God did. He demonstrated that he keeps his promises, that he's in control of history he keeps those promises he makes, and Jesus is coming again. And on that day, we all want to be ready. We want to be ready when he comes back. <clears throat> and, and, and eager and anticipating. I want to read one final passage. It's out of Acts chapter 3. And as I'm reading this, strings, you can come on back up. But I'm going to read what Peter speaks to to the, the crowds in Jerusalem, to thousands of people um, after Christ had ascended. He says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And Peter is urging the people, saying, repent. Remember what the prophets foretold? Well, Jesus came, but he's coming back. And so make sure you're ready when he does come back. We're going to uh, uh, close off our service by singing a little bit more. We're going to sing a couple more songs um, but before we do that, I want to give you a little, little instruction on what we're going to do, do now. And we're going to sing two songs. We're going to first sing Silent Night, and second, we're going to sing Joy to the World. Now, Silent Night, of course, is a very, very traditional Christmas song. It's one that we all love. Silent Night looks back to that night, of course, when Jesus was born, and we reflect that the king actually came. Yeah, that he was predicted, it was foretold long ago, long before he came, that he would come and then he actually came. And so as we sing Silent Night, we're going to reflect on that and that God actually keeps his promises.
But then we're going to sing Joy to the World. And I think this is very appropriate because Joy to the World is a little different. Um, I was just reminded recently that Joy to the World, it's not the typical Christmas song. It doesn't mention any of the typical Christmas elements. No mention of the baby or the shepherds or the wise men or anything like that. And the reason it doesn't is because most likely it's an anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. And so we're going to sing Silent Night reflecting on his first coming and then joy to the world anticipating his second coming. But as we sing Silent Night, we're also going to light our candles. And so hopefully you received a candle when you came in. If you did not receive a candle, we've got some in the back and I think John has a big box of them and so you can raise your hand and he can get you, get you a candle. But, um, but we're going to, to, to spread this, this flame here. I'm going to, I have my candle and I'm going to get, get the flame from this, this central candle and I'm going to walk down and I'm going to start to pass it to, you, to those of you in the front row. And we're going to spread this throughout the auditorium. And of course, it's a symbol of, of the spreading of that message that Jesus came, but he's coming again. Okay, and that's what we want to spread throughout this world. And so it's just symbolic of that essential message being spread throughout the world. <coughs> now, a little bit of candle etiquette here first. So I'm going to come down and I'm going to, to take, the, take it from the central candle. And then I'm going to come to those of you in the first rows of each of these sections and I'm going to, to give it to you. And so when you get it, if you're the first one in your, your row to get it, you take it. Why don't you turn to the person actually behind you first, to the, the, the row behind you, give it to them and then send it down your row. Also, here's some more etiquette. Um, the one that has the flame, keep your, your candle straight up and down. The one who doesn't, you know, bend your candle um, to get the flame. That way, the one that has the flame isn't dumping hot wax in the lap of their neighbor. Okay, so that's, that's what we're trying to avoid. All right, so we're going to, um, the, the, the string section here is going to begin to lead us in silent night. I'm going to start spreading the, the, the candlelight, and then we're going to join in singing Silent Night. <laughs> 